Hello everyone and welcome back to the Concrete Diaries. I am your host, Carlisa Simone. It is a beautiful day, America. Thank you, Jesus, because I could not take another four years of that foolishness. We are donning a new age. Can we believe it? The first black Asian woman in the White House. Black Asian, Jamaican Indian, to be exact. Jesus, why? Jamaican people are living for this moment. This is so big. This is so monumental. Despite her background that is complete mess and we all are aware of the fact that yes she has put away a lot of black men in jail and we'll get into that a little bit later but this is monumental no matter the background I wish I saw this growing up I never even thought dreamed that it was possible that option didn't even cross my mind oh my gosh guys this is big this is really big it felt like new year's eve yesterday i saw so many people (laughs) doing the damn thing in new york all around the world celebrating just breathing that sigh of relief and i feel as though this is truly a break of what we needed we we really needed this. Um, the hopelessness was definitely palatable in the air. I just want to thank everybody and they mama, they grandmama for showing up and voting. And we can all thank black people, especially in the battleground states, for showing up and doing the damn thing. So big up yourself. Uh, um... Which leads me into another point. This is not the end. Not by a long shot. There's still so much work to be done. Um, We can celebrate now. But I just want to remind you guys. Politicians are supposed to work for you. Hold them accountable. All that they promise. Everything. Remind them. Remind them who put them in power. And it's you. It is you. It is our job to hold these people accountable. And I hope that we've learned something from this, you know, that we'll grow from this, that this will take America in a new direction. Definitely make them answer for some things that they have done in the past. We won't forget. I could say, though, for definitely for South Florida, it feels so somber here, so saddened. I went to Walmart the other day and I haven't seen not a Trump flag in sight. And usually that is a common occurrence to see, but not one. And I was just astonished. No shouting, no, no celebrating, just silence. And you know what? I'm happy about that. So without further ado, let's get into our For the Worm segment. Okay, grab what you need, grab your tea, grab your wine, and grab your skincare because I'm about to get into our book of the week, which is Gods of Jade and Shadow by Sylvia Morano Garcia. And I have a lot of things to say about this book right here. First things first, who is Sylvia Morano Garcia? Sylvia Morano Garcia's Signal to Noise was named a best book of 2015 by Book Riot, Tor.com, BuzzFeed, io9, and more. Her second novel, Certain Dark Things, was one of NPR's best book 
lists of 2016. A Publisher's Weekly Top 10 for 2016, a Voya Perfect 10, and a finalist for multiple awards. Her other books include The Fantasy of Manners, The Beautiful Ones, and the science fiction novella Prime Mirrodin. Also, she also wrote Mexican Gothic, which is, which is also on my list. I can't wait to get my hands on that. She has also edited several anthropologies, including the world fantasy award-winning She Walks in Shadows, aka Chetulu's Daughters. She resides in Vancouver, British Columbia. You can follow her at Sylvia MG on Twitter, Facebook S Moreno Garcia, and she has a blog which is Sylvia Moreno Garcia.com slash blog. Now let's get into this book right here. So Gods of Shadow Gods of Jade and Shadow by Sylvia Moreno Garcia is about the Mayan god of death sends a young woman on a herring life-changing journey in this one-of-a-kind fairy tale inspired by Mexican folklore. The jazz age is in full swing, but Casopia Toon is too busy cleaning the floors of her wealthy grandfather's house to listen to any fast tunes. Nevertheless, she dreams of a life far from her dusty small town in southern Mexico or Mexico. A life she can call her own, yet this new life seems as distant as the stars until the day she finds a curious wooden box in her grandfather's room. She opens it and accidentally frees the spirit of the Mayan god of death who requests her help in recovering his throne from his treacherous brother. Failure will mean Cassiopeia's demise, but success could make her dream come true. In the company of the strangely alluring god and armed with her wits, Cassiopeia begins an adventure that will take her on a cross-country odyssey from the jungles of Yucatan to the bright lights of Mexico City and deep into the darkness of the Mayan underworld. Whoa. So this book has been really popular. I have seen it on practically everybody's book list. And the cover is so exquisite. I love it. It def you can definitely see that Mayan um artwork and it's so beautiful with teal and purple. It's it's just gorgeous. I usually I usually do not even look in a timepiece <laughs> direction. I hate timepieces and I know that's a strong word, but I cannot stand timepieces for some reason. I don't like books that are based of the past. Um, I don't know. Like, I don't know if it's because I feel like, is this even like truly authentic enough? Is this even true to the time that they're talking about? Or I don't even want to... I don't even want to think of that time. I want something that's more current. I'm not sure what it is, but it's not usually what I gravitate to. Now, why I even picked up this book was one, it came up for like suggestions for me on Goodreads. I saw like about 23,000 people reviewing it. And the fact that it is basic, like, mythology, I love. If we are talking mythology, I am your girl. I was and still am a slut. <laughs> a slut for Rick Rorden books. Truly Greek and Roman mythology blew me away. So on the promise of something new that I have never read before, Mayan mythology I was just like I have to read it I'm pretty sure like every nation have their own interpretation godly roots 
but I really wasn't aware of Mayan mythology until this book. And I picked it up because of the title, Intriguing Gods of Jade and Shadow, beautiful cover, and the promise of mythology. If it wasn't for the mythology, I would not have picked up this book. The time piece is why. I hate, I hate time pieces. Because I'm not living in it. Talk of the social climate. The threat of a history lesson just, it doesn't mesh with me. does not seem sexy at all. But to be honest, this author could not have picked a more flashy, engaging time. Hello, Roaring Twenties. If you are looking for a book bathed in blood, cousin versus cousin, hermano versus hermano, the suspense, this is the book for you. It's so cool to see that in this essence, blood is not thicker than water because one brother gets his head chopped off. We are talking Cain and Abel here, people. That type of betrayal. Come on now. One thing that I truly loved about this story is the vocabulary. This book is very descriptive and poetic. Some scenes literally could be sung. I learned a lot of new elevated words to add to my personal dictionary so if you are studying for the SAT this book is for you it's very intricate and sometimes I don't even know what the hell that they're saying and I would have to use context clues to get an idea of what she's trying to say my only concern with that is is I wonder if it's fitting for a con conversational scene like did people of the 20s talk to each other in this manner (laughs) is it truly conversational and again who is the audience for this book if we're talking YA shouldn't we kind of I'm just curious shouldn't we kind of like dumb down the language in a way because some some vocab words i'm like wow <laughs> i'm really studying for the sat like this is sat prep right here you know i'm glad i i love to learn new things but i'm just like does it really have to be so i feel like ti <laughs> you know ti be like exponentially and All these big words and conversations that's unnecessary. That's what I felt like with this book in some scenes. I just want to run down the four main characters of the book to give you an idea of what they're about. So Martin, he is Cassipia's cousin, okay? He's full of himself. Very narcissistic and egotistical. He's greedy, will sell his soul for power, status, and money. I emphasize power and status. He's not really greedy in the point of he wants money. He loves his cushy lifestyle, yes, but it's not like he's going to go hunting for money. He emphasizes the, the need for power and for status, mainly power. He wants to feel big, macho, rule over all the little people and rub it in their face. That's what he's about. He doesn't like to feel small or aware of his shortcomings. For example, that he lacks in um, intellect where his cousin, Caspia, surpasses him and he hates her for it. Jealous of the intellect Um, hates for not bowing down to him. Like, he sees that she should stay in a quote-unquote woman's place. 
she would grudgingly do what he asked, but not without difficulty and not without defiance or rebellion. He's 20 and handsome, knows that he's handsome, and he's spoiled like a young prince. In his family, family's eyes, except for his grandfather, he can do no wrong. He didn't want the world because he was aware it will swallow him whole. I began to feel a little bit bad for him. <laughs> um, along the story, when he gets roped into this foolishness of dueling for power between God and God. Um, all he wanted to do was go home. He was not aware. He literally had to answer for his grandfather's sins. So I felt really bad for him on that. Now with Vacuum Kame. I don't think I'm pronouncing his name right. He's one of the gods who is in charge of prophecy. Vacuum Kame. He's very manipulative. He reminds me of a fox. Swiper no swiping. Yeah, but he swiped that crown real fast bloodedly he's delusional he truly feels as though the kingdom needs me it needs someone like me to flourish very bitter very jealous of his older brother very bitter in the fact that why did i have to be born second why couldn't it be my birthright to be king he really gave off Scar and Lion King, Thanos and Hades vibes to me. Mainly Scar. Scar and Thanos. <laughs> Scar in the sense where he literally killed his brother for the throne. And how do you kill a god? How do you kill a god that is immortal? He went to great lengths to make him mortal. He's very, I don't know. I want to make sure. I believe he's very sociopathic. Very sociopathic. And arrogant. He doesn't like to, to be talking down to. He wants to rule in rule everyone and everything now he is like the other side of his twin brother who is hunkame hunkame is reserved he's polite but cold he's secured in his status he know who he who he is before he starts to forget who he is <laughs> Which is a whole different, like, we don't have enough time to get into that. But to see his character development, it was truly, it was truly astonishing. I loved his character development. Everybody else, I'm like, eh, it's kind of lacking. I mean, Martin, Martin kind of changed towards the end. But, and vacuum kame but i wouldn't say that he really changed it was like he was forced to adapt um Cassipia was definitely consistent throughout the whole entire story she's defiant she's educated ambitious but she's also guarded with her dreams she's resilient a little naive which could be understood because she never stepped foot outside her small town matter of fact her house truly she's really a small town girl but she's noble and kind-hearted it was nice to see her adapt quickly and it's like she's aware of the fact that i need to change in order to survive and that was really refreshing to see um <laughs> Let's get into this, some themes that I, yes, it's raining, by the way, which I love. Since we're bibliophiles, the perfect setting 
is when it's raining and you're reading and you have a little bit of music in the background and you're sipping your drink. Such a vibe. Okay, some themes to get into. The anti-blackness or the anti-indigenous was very prominent in this story. And I'm glad that the author brought it up. She included this anti-black, anti-indigenous experience that I know runs rampant in Latino culture. How they equate poor, ugly, the darker you are, and flawless, richer, the wider you resemble. She included the history and quality of life impacting indigenous Mexicans. And the only time that everyone can truly celebrate and be merry as one was during, was it Carnival? I believe it was Carnival. Yes, during Carnival, during the holidays is truly when everyone is accepted. But the amount of hardships indigenous people face and the story is very telling and it's ironic because they come from Mayans who are they who are their gods Mayans who what does their god look like their gods are one is dark skin obsidian onyx you know of regal manner and yet what they're looking to for guidance in this Roaring Twenties, she depicts Mexico emulating or imitating um, the United States, the American way of life, which their beauty standards, it took after Hollywood stars, which we know is whitewash. Dances became faster, fashion a little shorter. And the church was just astonished by that. And when I say shorter, I mean, come on, ankle showing or even a leg is showing maybe from time to time and they're blown away. I can't believe ankles is considered scandalous. I wonder what they would say, the church, if they saw me rocking around with a crop top, you know, booty shorts and hair out because they had to cover their hair with a shawl. In those times, um, we see it trickle down into Cassiopeia's family. Uh, she favors indigenous people. Like, she has those features. She's a little bit darker. And to see how they handle her, not only because due to her mother, you know, going off with a man that was quote-unquote not suitable or not handpicked by their father and coming back home to like scrub floors, very Cinderella-esque. They're also looking down on her because of what she looks like, of how darker she is compared to her. They consider her of poor relation. Um, I'm just looking at my notes. So... She is the maid. And in their eyes, she already looks like one. Another theme that is big in this story is mortality. This book is centered around death, gods, and the afterlife. And they're all intertwined. Literally, we're dealing with death gods here and the underworld. A girl who grew up strictly Catholic, which is ironic again because her family was aware of the Mayan gods that exist and yet they still bow, pray to, or endeavor into Catholicism. So... She would hear these folklore tales of Ibalba um, from the books her, bo- her father left behind, from the stories he told, the underworld filled with beasts and despair. We see her grandfather who grew up old and knocking on death's door. He 
literally sold his soul for fortune. We see her as she's on her journey, asking hard question about what's life truly about, what happens when she dies. Because she knows death is near, she wants to live even more. Oof, for real, like, damn, when I finally get out of this town, I won't even get to live the life I envisioned for myself. She's asking those questions. This is the first book I have ever read where the underworld is depicted as beautiful, like a dark paradise. It still is dangerous, but it has that allure. Instead of the yellow brick road, we get the black road. And trust, it will not be as jolly. Like I said, this book is truly poetic and lyrical. And so within poetry, we, as we know, there's symbolism. I can't speak today. Symbolism. Everything has significance. And that's how it translates into the story. Everything has a meaning. Meanings have meanings. It's like a jigsaw puzzle. Within the story, the characters are symbolic to themselves or prior experiences that they may have. Because as we know, history repeats itself. No body believed Cassipia would amount to much even when she surpasses her cousin she continuously exceeds all their expectation a strength they did not know she had the ability to possess and she also reflects past experiences that the twin gods have went through Lessons that they should have learned. We see... Okay. Usually, women signify birth and, you know, those standard typical foolishness. Birth and motherhood and da-da-da-da. But in this essence, Cassipia is depicted and symbolizes a new dawn and and a warrior and the key to unlocking the future and it, it just feels very empowering to be reading this where usually girls are not the person to change the fate of the world Usually it's up to the men. Men are depicted as heroes. But we see Cassipia being the brave person that she is. Saving herself. Like, nobody had to save her. Homegirl had a plan and she took her ticket out. She wasn't the damsel in distress. Literally a god, a man, looked to her for help for guidance and that is so refreshing to read another cool thing under the guise of symbolism another cool thing that was what made me think was how they symbolize snakes usually snakes are depicted or equated to everything negative evil and the devil and all this sort of thing. But in this story, they're related to or signify vanity, knowledge, inquisitive, kind. I found that really cool. On her path, usually as we know in the Bible, it was the serpent who led Eve to her demise, causing her to pick, you know, the apple or the fruit of knowledge or whatever. 
But in this story, it was the snake that guided her on the right path, that protected her, that opened up a a way for her to flourish and escape. And I thought, wow, this is the first time I've seen, well, apart from, um, I would say in some African folklore, the snake is also considered like womanhood and all that stuff. But it's interesting to see that instead of evil, the snake signified kindness and inquisitive and all that stuff. Let's get to the nitty gritty. <laughs> what I have been waiting to share. I want to talk about the romance. Now, child, this was a unique love story that did not end as I expected it to. This love story, but not a love story, was cute. You never know if it'll amount to anything. A god and a mortal. How many times have we read that? We have read that. I don't know if y'all have read Rick Rorian books, um, Percy Jackson and Lightning Thief and all that stuff with demigods and how gods fall in love with, with mortals and they have babies and whatnot. But this was an interesting one because she can never achieve godhood and I wouldn't call it unrequited love, maybe doomed because it won't amount to much. But it's in their fleeting touches, intense gazes, intimate talks of bearing their soul to each other and sharing their dreams and aspirations. It's in all those interactions where it became so innocent, so childlike, like a budding relationship that can never be. Jeez, man. Call it a movie and talk about a true and literal ride or die. Casapia really does stepped up to the plate. Homegirl is a G. She literally put her life on the line with nothing, not asking for anything in return. Did it all for free and did it all for love that would never be. Isn't that so poetic? This author is a genius. (laughs) She literally was riding and dying for a God that was not even her man. And sweetie, when the climax of this little romance happened, I could finally breathe a sigh of relief. But I'm telling you, it did not end as I expected it to. The point of view is another one. You know I love point of view stories, different point of view stories, because we really want to get into the characters' heads. But this author had a point of view for everyone. Casapia, Martin, Vacum, Kame, her mama. Her grandfather, Hale, the butler, the maid, for everybody. And not for Hoon Kame. That's what I did not like. I'm like, how you have point of view for everybody and they mama and they grandmama, but you ain't got not one for Hoon Kame. The one person that matters the most that you want to get inside his head the most. Because guess what? His character, he's like a cold wall. He reminds me of Edward from Twilight sometimes, truly. Um, But he's a cold wall. He doesn't, he's very expressionless. He doesn't, it takes him a while to open up and to share his, his line of thinking willingly. The way she describes his 
expressions and his mannerisms. It's like, sometimes you will have to guess, okay, obviously he's not really feeling this sort of situation, but you really want to get inside of his head to know what his experience was like. This man spent how many years locked up in one piece of box? You know, cut apart, cut to pieces by his own brother. Hell to yeah, I want to know what he's thinking, what he's feeling. You know, I would have loved to have those those interactions. And I wonder if she did that, the author, if she did that on purpose. And if so, what was the reason or the significance behind it? Would it have gave everything away? Would it have lessened the suspense? Like the one person I would have truly have loved to get into his brain I couldn't. And it was kind of very frustrating. Remember how I said, Casapia, she's very smart and educated, but she's not very experienced. She has that naive aura around her. Yeah. Yeah. It, it annoyed me. (laughs) It was cute at some parts. Um, like a fish out of water. But it annoyed me at some other parts. Some parts because that character who wants everyone to hug, hold hands, and sing Kumbaya, legit, Kunkame gets beheaded by his own brother, gets his throne taken away from him and stuffed in a box for years decades by her grandfather right and he's been plotting his revenge for so many years as she comes in with well we really need to forgive or saying well were you the kind of king that was that was kind are you are you delusional, girl? Like, she what's frustrating in a sense, she's supposed to be that character who knows better. She's been on the end of, like I read, see, this is, this is where it comes back. In the first chapter, she's at the hands of a horrible situation, basically Cinderella-esque situation. And she goes to complain to her mother and her mother is just like, just tough it out. We don't want to seem like we're squandering or squatting here or take advantage of the situation. Just tough it out. And she's, the mother is like, she goes on to pray and pray for guidance and stuff like that. And trust me, I have been there with my own mama where I'm like, that's not the response I want right now. Why can't you be angry with me? You know, instead you're over here saying, well, no, let's pray. Let's ask for guidance. Like that's not the response you need right now. Right. At that time. So I would give Caspia the benefit of the doubt. She does go into a little bit of a character development. At that time, she was all about, man, I want them to experience this one day. Man, I just want to get the hell up out of here. Man, man, man. And to see her speak to Hun Kame to be like, forgive. Go about your life. Flourish. Revenge means nothing. It's not satisfying. It won't do anything for you. I was like, me personally, if I get my head chopped off, by someone who's close to me and someone who done stole my throne and everything. You best believe once I get up out of there, I am coming for your head. (laughs) Like what? And in a sense, that whole thing, well, were you a kind king? Are you seriously victim shaming right now? Like, I wish somebody would tell me to move on and say, well, what did you do? Maybe you caused this, you know? 
I will say I do admire her defiance. No matter how minuscule the task is, homegirl will rebel. And it's so nice to see because in this culture, you know, they all emphasize, well, you need to stay in a woman's place. You need to bow down to a man and everything. She was like, oh, hell no, I'm not doing that. Oh, you need to shine my shoes. No, I don't. I don't speak to you or I don't bow down to you. As she says to her cousin. So she wasn't helpless. And she reminds me of how, like, you know, when your mama tell you to do something or she yells at you or, or whatever, or she beats you or whatever. And you're muttering under your breath. You're talking about her when she walks away. You're stomping away or you're packing a runaway bag, but you're never going to run away or say, I can't wait to get up out of here. Yeah, that's, that's Casapia, bruh. That is Casapia. She know what she want to live comfortably and experience that lavish lifestyle, automobiles, big houses, fancy dresses, fast dances, to travel. All she was waiting for was her grandfather to just die so she can cash that will money and bounce. Instead, you see this is how crazy life is or how destiny life is. The ticket that took her out of there was her opening a box that she had no business opening. That's what happens when you're nosy. Mind your business. But she opened a box and there and behold is Hunkame. One of the Lord of Death. Right? And she sets out on a journey then and there to leave that house behind and go on an odyssey she never even dreamed that she would be on but yet at the same time experiencing all of the things that she wanted or she wrote down or she hid photos of under her bed from newspaper clippings that she want to live like them hot people in Hollywood you see how manifestation works she wrote it down she planned it out she said I will do this one day when I get up out of here and she did it. Okay, so this chapter, I mean, chapter, this book is 35 chapters long. In total, 716 pages on an iPhone ebook, right? It took me about, I want to say on and off a week, a week to read. It could take me a couple days if I was consistent with it. It wasn't that bad. I will say each chapter is kind of long. It's like 15 pages or so long. But very in-depth. You don't leave this book with questions or, or wondering, okay, what will happen next? If there will be a sequel? I don't think there's going to be a sequel, by the way. They tied it off beautifully at the end. To be honest, it kind of, it kind of went beyond my expectations. I feel like with these stories, we all have an idea of how it's going to end. But she totally, the author, just changed course and tied it off beautifully. Now, what she also included in this story As she's bringing up more and more figures of Mayan folklore and, um, yeah, Mayan folklore, she adds a glossary at the end and explains what each, what is the significance of every person that we come in contact with, which I truly appreciate. She explains what the roots of the Mayan language come from, where it's spoken, like it's spoken throughout Mexican and Central America. There are 29 recognized Mayan languages. 
the way these languages are represented in Latin script has changed over time. And so that's why she um, opened a Mayan dictionary. She used the modernized spelling of most words. So, for example, the names of the lords of Ibalba. And she explains how what inspired Gods of Jade and Shadow, which was the Popol view, the elements of Maya cult mythology and how it was woven into this novel. It's considered a work of fantasy and should not be considered anthropological text, but she still include the glossary below. So you have about one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, seventeen, eighteen, nineteen, twenty, twenty-one, twenty-two, twenty-three, twenty-four, twenty-five, twenty-six, twenty-seven, twenty-eight, twenty-nine, twenty, thirty, thirty-one, thirty-two, thirty-three, thirty-four, thirty-five, thirty-six, thirty-six terms here in depth. In depth. So if you want to learn. Like, I feel like this is a great book to dip your toes in into Mayan culture. I'll definitely be seeking out more books on Mayan culture because I'm interested right now. As I was reading this, I did research a little bit about the gods of death and how they look like and their significance and the way she kind of romanticized all of that is truly a talent to behold. Trust. Because these... Muffles are scary as hell. Also, the dedication reads, Para Miss Abuelas, Yolta y Rosa, Otros Muendos, Otros Suenos. I don't know what any of that means, except for grandma or um, grandparents. But... It's so beautiful that she really allowed us to learn more about Mexican culture. Definitely, I truly enjoy this book, surprisingly, for a timepiece. So descriptive. It was like a movie in my mind. I love, there were some scenes here and there I was like, "Mm, I don't really, mm, I don't really like this. Some areas where it was very anticlimactic. Um, It takes a bit of time for this story to truly kick off. It really took a little bit too long for the story to actually get to the story, which I didn't really like. I mean, I'm all for context, but maybe that was too much context. It's all about, it's all about, um, whatchamacallit. Preference, yes. It's all about preference. So if you're a person who loves so much context that you want a whole lot of background information before they get into the story, I would say that this story is for you. If you're the type of person like me who's a little bit impatient, then I would choose something else um, because this is really... A committed read the chapters are long <laughs> and you never for me I never want to end stop reading in the middle of the chapter because that's gonna be hard to pick up back so I try to finish chapter so it's hard again if you're late at night trying to read and you're trying to get to bed and you're like okay come on get to the point you know but that's just me so my rating for this book I'm going to kind of shorten the scale. So we're going to do it after five from now on. I will give it definitely a four out of five. It is really enjoyable. It is. It truly is an enjoying read. I love how she did this um, story, especially for a timepiece. And that's a big for me because I hate timepieces. But she made me enjoy it. And I love learning new things. I love learning about new um, cultures. And I'm glad that I get to experience that. I'm privileged for getting to experience that. Um, She brought up some real issues. And she called out certain 
things <laughs> that should be called out. And I'm glad that she acknowledged um, certain issues in the culture. I love the ending. And I just love this spin on mythology. And it definitely piqued my interest to keep reading uh, more on my mythology. I love the color, the cover. And I'm glad I can see why everyone is so ecstatic about this book. I spent my time kind of reading the reviews and there are some that I agree with and some that I don't agree with <laughs> as usual. But for it's it's an achievement to have 20 over 23,000 people commenting on your book. And that's only on Goodreads. Okay, so give this book a try. Definitely. Also, I will say this. I will be doing book playlists from now on. Songs that kind of fit the book. I wouldn't say songs. <laughs> I wouldn't say that music to listen to as you're reading because you're just going to get too live with it and you're going to put the book down. So I would not suggest you reading during this playlist, but I pick songs that are fitting that kind of play out the movie in your mind that can go along certain scenes. So if you're interested in these book playlists, definitely, definitely head over to Instagram where I'll be posting them with every book from now on. Well, that's all for now, folks. Thank you for listening. If you want to find more ways to support this show, I'm going to give you some three easy peasy steps. One, follow. You can find us on Twitter at Diaries Concrete and Instagram at The Concrete Diaries. Two, subscribe. Don't be shy. Click that subscribe button so you don't miss out on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast fix. Three, leave a rating and a review. You like what you hear? Well, let us know by dropping a rating or review on Apple Podcasts. Your positive feedback promotes us on the platform and helps other unicorns find us. If you need something else, well, here's one thing. You can now join our Patreon. That's right, folks. We are now on Patreon. So if you want to join the TCD crew, click that link in the description. It's right there for you. For more info on all things TCD, please visit our site at www.theconcretediaries.com. As always, keep blooming from the concrete and I'll see you in the next one.